And the thing is, after all these years, I still look back with wonder. Hey there, Wonderlings! It's Friday! Yay! Who's ready for the weekend? It's finally August, and you know what that means. The last real month of summer. Wow. How did we get here, right? I'm your host, Angela Bowen, and welcome to another episode of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Today, I'll be reviewing the Wonder Years episode, Season 2, Episode 13, entitled Birthday Boy, which aired on April 11th, 1989. In this episode, Paul Pfeiffer and Kevin Arnold's birthdays are just days apart, and the two friends have usually always celebrated their birthdays together. But this year, upon turning 13, Paul, as per Jewish tradition, will become a man. The only problem is that Paul's bar mitzvah happens to take place on the same day as Kevin's birthday. Ouch. Speaking of birthdays, there's only 20 days left until mine. That's right, on August 24th, I will be turning the big 3-5. During this episode, I will be sharing some fun birthday moments of my own, and some maybe not so fun. Well, the ones I can really remember, anyway. Before I get into this birthday festive episode, I'd like to congratulate Totally Haim from Instagram for getting this episode's trivia question correct. The question was, what day is Kevin's birthday? And the answer is March 18th. Congratulations again, Totally Haim. I'm making you an honorary wonderling of the week. Yeah, I had to go open the slider. It's like, it's getting warm in here. I've been uh, starting to record in the kitchen area because I have a big table and I can kind of spread out and everything. So that's what I'm doing. All right. Well, I got some goofs from IMDb, the IMDb page for this episode. The first one is a continuity error. In the pilot, Kevin says he has known Paul since Paul was 36 hours old. Here we learn Kevin is four days younger than Paul. This next one is a factual error. Paul's bar mitzvah occurs on Saturday, March 18, 1969, which is also Kevin's birthday. March 18, 1969 was actually a Tuesday. Alright, now on to the episode. We open up with Kevin as a little boy being led out into the backyard by Norma while she's holding a birthday cake. Kevin looks to be about three here, I'm guessing. As the song Happy Happy Birthday Baby by the Toon Weavers plays overhead. I love this song. I think Ronnie Millsap also does a cover of it. Then we see the next part of the home movie where Kevin and Paul turn one and they are both on a blanket. Baby Paul is so adorable with his glasses as he toddles around on his two feet. Kevin is sitting on the blanket crying. He is not a happy camper. That poor baby. He did not want to be there that day. Then we move on to when the boys are six, and they're at the fair riding the rides, the carousel, the bumper cars. They're so cute, and this boy looks so much like Paul. The one who's playing Paul looks... I almost thought it was Paul for a second. Like, no, that's not Paul. I just... So I looked up the boy who played young Paul around age six, and no kidding. He was literally born the day after me on August 25th, 1982. I thought, whoa, that is freaky. 
All right, the next uh, scene, we're back in present day as the kids are on the school bus, and we again see Wayne's friend Steve. Turns out this is his last episode. I looked it up on IMDb. The only other episode he's in is from the episode My Father's Office, episode 3 from season 1. We hear Wayne ask Paul, what, a, what the hell is a bar mitzvah? A ceremony for when you become a man, stupid, Kevin answers for Paul. <laughs> a man? Pfeiffer? <laughs> That's the funniest thing I've heard all day, Wayne laughs, turning to Steve. Steve, are you hearing this? Pfeiffer's about to become a man. Well, since they have the slider open, I guess Quinn decided to grace us all with her presence. She's staring out the slider glass window. Trying to smell the rain or something. Um, <laughs> where did I leave off? Okay, um, at first I thought Wayne was calling to Steve at the back of the bus because of the way that he kind of nods his head. But I watched it again and Steve actually just leans his head a little to the side because Steve is sitting right next to him. Well, what's so funny about that? Paul fires back. You're not a man until you lose your virginity, Steve informs him. Whoa, burn! Wow, even in the late 60s, boys talked openly about virginity and becoming a man. I thought that that was still kind of taboo. Or am I thinking of the 50s and leave it to Beaver? I mean, I don't think Wally would be bringing up virginity to the Beave. That's right, so I figure you're just little boys until you're 45, Wayne tells them. Oh, I'd say that's optimistic, Steve chimes in and Wayne adds. Well, I mean, if you're actually talking about having sex with an actual person... Oh, shut up, Wayne. You're just jealous, Kevin yells. Yeah, you're just jealous, Paul repeats. <laughs> jealous? Why? Because you get to wear one of those little beanies on your head? Wayne scoffs. It's called a yarmulke, and for your information, it happens to be a very big deal, Paul throws in his face. I get to stand up in front of all my friends and my whole family and make a speech, Paul continues. I'm kind of curious, what other friends does Paul have besides Kevin? I mean, this is like saying Kimmy Gibbler from Full House has other friends outside of DJ. Which maybe she does. Maybe they exist off screen, I guess. Wayne sits there, mock open mouth. A speech? A speech? Oh, now I'm jealous. Now I'm jealous. Paul just sits there rolling his eyes. I'd be like, Paul, don't even waste your time or breath trying to impress Wayne because nothing does. And then we have this huge party, Paul adds. Oh, I've heard of those Pfeiffer parties, Steve jokes. Very hot, Wayne chimes in. Paul adds how there's catering, all you can eat or drink, and hundreds of guests. And all the girls I want to invite, Paul tells them. Better keep them on a leash now, Wayne laughs. And a band, Paul throws out there. A live band, Steve asks. Okay, don't get too excited, boys. It's probably a house band who plays all polka music. My grandpa Rash liked to listen to polka music. And lots of presents, Paul mentions. Okay, now the boys are intrigued at the words band and presents. Paul estimates that if 100 people show up and they each bring a gift, it could add up to $1,000. Really, Paul? They might not all bring money. What if they gave him money in savings bonds? Did they do that back then? Kevin asks if he's really going to get a hundred presents, and Paul tells him, yeah, and of course, that's not including the money. Wow, I don't know anything about Jewish ceremonies, but I mean, I w I'd like to learn. I'd be interested. 
Now we hear Jack's voice on the phone telling the person on the other end that they're crazy. He's not going to pay that amount. He asks, talking to a mechanic. He's talking to a mechanic about his fucking car again. That damn car is a piece of shit. It seems to break down at every fucking turn. Almost every damn episode, there's something wrong with that fucking car. I mean, I don't ever speak to the mechanic themselves when it comes to my car. I usually talk to the service department and they relay the message to me from what the mechanic says. Norma's breaking apart green beans as she asks Kevin what he and Paul are going to do for their birthday this year. Kevin tells Norma how Paul is actually having a bar mitzvah. Norma tells him she forgot about that and then asks Kevin, well, what are we going to do about your birthday? Kevin just shrugs his shoulders. I don't know. Norma says, well, it has to be something good. You're turning 13. It's a big one. Yeah, it's official teenagerhood. What are the big milestones here? We got uh, 13. That's a big one. That is when you become a teenager. 16, because you get your license. I mean, that's more of, you know, you hear about sweet 16 parties for girls. I don't know. Other than the driver's license for guys, I really don't think 16 is that big, except for the driver's license. You have 18, because you can vote. You can uh, buy a lottery ticket. Um, where are the other, you can join the army, um, you can get married, and, um, dang, I think that might be it. Oh, and of course, 20, you're an official adult when you're 18, but then when you're 21, of course, the big thing about 21 is pretty much, hey, I'm old enough to drink now, which, I mean, yes, I did have you know, a, a wine cooler for my 21st birthday, or a Bacardi Raz, which I kind of liked those then. I don't drink anymore. I never really drink hard things at all, just little things. I, beer tastes like piss, so of course I'm not into that, so. Anyway, Kevin again just shrugs his shoulders and like, I guess. Norma seems to read Kevin's mind. Not the same without Paul, huh? Well, when you're growing up, celebrating your birthday with someone every year, and it's kind of tradition, when it doesn't happen, you're kind of crushed. I mean, it's not like they won't be celebrating other birthdays together. My dad and I had traditions. We always went Christmas shopping together until I was 21. That might have been the last year, because by then I was with Jeremy, and Dad would have rather gone with his girlfriend, uh, Pam. Plus, the old country buffet had closed down, and we always usually went there after shopping. You know, then I, you know, I kind of realized it's like it just it wasn't it didn't feel the same anymore. You know, it was funner when I was younger. I actually got to pick out my own presents. I don't think I ever really got a surprise gift from my dad. I mean, I might have, but you know, I felt in a way almost like I had outgrown that part of myself, and I was just kind of holding on to it for sentimental reasons. The same thing was seeing a movie with my dad on New Year's Day. That had started when we saw Titanic on uh, New Year's Day in 1998. And then on New Year's Day 2004, because we had seen a movie every, every year after 1998. That was our thing that we did. My dad and I were going to go see the movie Cold Mountain in 2004, only to get to the, the, the theater and find out it was sold out. Oh, did I flip my shit. I was fucking pissed. I don't like breaking tradition. I mean, my dad was like, you know, it's, we can always, we can do it another day. And I'm like, no, no, it has to be today. It has to be today. 
because you know it's New Year's Day. If we did it another day, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be the same. We did eventually go see the damn movie, which it was okay. I like closed my eyes at one of the scenes that was a little too intense for me to handle. You know, um, and honestly, I don't know. It bothered me more so than the whole Christmas shopping tradition. I think it was because it was the last of the traditions me and my dad had, and I didn't want to let it go. Um, you know, I realized the time of me and dad doing that kind of stuff was pretty much over because I had Jeremy now to make traditions with, which I can't really think of what traditions too much that Jeremy and I have right now, but I remember the first movie dad and I ever went to, it was Jumanji when I was in seventh grade because I got good grades on my report card. That's when I found out in the movie theater they were making Home Alone 2. Not Home Alone, excuse me. They're making Homeward Bound 2. I was so damn stoked. Like, oh my gosh! Homeward Bound 2, there's going to be a second one. Oh, but anyway. All right, now, <laughs> back to the show. <clears throat> Either that, or it's not the same without 100 presents and a live band, Kevin thinks to himself. Norma leans over to ruffle his hair to cheer him up, and then Kevin pulls the sad puppy dog face trying to guilt Norma by saying... I'm not sure I want to do anything this year. All of a sudden, we hear Jack yelling on the phone, $500? Since when does an alternator cost $500? Shit, is that including the labor? That sounds closer to today's prices. And I, you know, I checked online to see what other people would pay. That's kind of right around what it would be. Some people suggest it was better to go, basically go out and buy the alternator at an auto parts store and then let the mechanic put it in, unless you can do it yourself, which we, I think we do see Jack try to do that later on. <clears throat> then the mechanic brings up the transmission, which in turn enrages Jack even more. Kevin starts to tell Norma about what he, he would like to do for his birthday, but then Jack interrupts, yelling at the guy, Look, just don't touch my car, just leave it just as you found it, I'll be right down to get it. He's like, don't fucking touch it. I'll, ugh, never, just, ugh. Jack hangs up the phone, tells Norma to grab her coat and give him a ride down to the garage. Before they head out, she tells Kevin to cheer up. They'll do something fun for his birthday and turns to Jack, saying, right, Jack? Jack just grumps. Sure, we'll get Kevin a new alternator for his birthday. In the next scene, we hear Ida Pfeiffer's Paul's mom telling Kevin to have some more chicken because she made it especially for him as Kevin's eating dinner over at Paul's house. Wasn't it so nice when you went over to someone's house for dinner and your friend's mom, like, always doted on you and gave you special attention? Alvin Pfeiffer, um, Paul's dad, is like, he makes a joke that is like, yeah, that's why it's called Chicken Kevin. <laughs> Paul rolls his eyes and then Alvin pulls out the ketchup bottle and asks Kevin what it says. He tells him, Ketchup. And Alvin tells him probably, what a kid, huh? What a kid. He's clearly impressed by this. Kevin tells us how he must have been the only kid Alvin knew who had 20-20 vision. Then Ida asks Kevin if he wants more uh, scalp potatoes. Wow, this family is so generous. Kevin helps himself to another serving, thinking how he was the only one she knew who really liked her scalloped potatoes. Gosh, I haven't had scalloped potatoes in a long time. I wouldn't make them homemade. I'd probably make them out of a box, too. Then we move on to the introduction of Debbie Pfeiffer, Paul's little sister. What a little cutie with those glasses. She is a sweetheart. 
She was the only girl that Kevin knew that in her eyes, Kevin was the ideal, the concept of the ideal male form. Then there's Grandpa Pfeiffer, who goes on to tell the family, especially Kevin, because he's the only one who hasn't heard the family's stories a bunch of times about his bar mitzvah and when he was Kevin and Paul's age. He proceeds to tell them that when he was young, his family didn't have much money, and his bar mitzvah gift was a chicken. And on his bar mitzvah day, his chicken came in walking in and laid an egg. Hence the saying, never looked a, look a gift chicken in the mouth. The family, of course, has heard this a million times, so they all recited along with him. Grandpa Pfeiffer turns to Paul and asks him if he's ready for the ceremony, and then he that asks, like, do you know all your prayers? Then he gives Paul a gift, his prayer book from his bar mitzvah. He tells him his father gave it to him, and Paul takes it, his eyes filled with pure awe and adoration. I'd be honored if one of my family members gave me something like that. All right, I want to play this small little clip of Grandpa Pfeiffer's speech to Paul. It's very beautiful, and I'm going to play the clip, and I'll be right back. My grandson, you are on the verge of becoming a man. You are about to inherit the love, the joy, the bitterness of our people, the tradition. From my grandfather, to my father, to me, to my son, and now to you. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Now we're back in the Arnold kitchen with Jack flipping through the classifieds complaining about $2,000 for a 66 Impala. How much, honestly, did cars go for back then? That car's only three years old, considering they're in 1969 at that point. I would think you could get a new car for practically that much, couldn't you? Kevin comes into the kitchen and beams at his family with pride as he asks Jack where his grandpa Arnold is from, and Jack just complains about highway robbery, the price of cars. Jack asks Kevin, or Kevin asks Jack to, oh my goodness gracious, Jack asks Kevin to repeat himself and asks again where Grandpa Arnold came from, and Jack tells him Newark. He finally gets frustrated. As he gets up to leave, he complains about how they should just get rid of the damn cars and they can all take the bus. Then he goes to Norma, who would probably be the best one to ask. Kevin er, explains how he was over at Paul's house having dinner and how Grandpa Pfeiffer was telling stories of his bar mitzvah and when he lived in Russia. And that kind of got him thinking about his family. As Kevin's talking, Norma runs the, the garbage disposal, which, why would you do that while someone's talking to you? Maybe he could have waited till she was finished so she could he could have her full attention because it seems like she was really only, ha he seems to get people when they're only partially listening to him. He asks Norma what they are, meaning their heritage. He tells her Paul's Jewish and, well, Winnie's Irish. Norma tells him that's kind of hard and starts with Jack being Italian. Then she says his mother is half Italian because her mother is Romanian. Then Jack's father is Polish. Then she explains how her great-grandfather came over from Scandinavia and married her great-grandmother, whose parents were Welsh, but she grew up in Ohio before she moved to Detroit. 
Kevin stands there as Norma continues to piece together the puzzle that makes up the Arnold family tree, and Kevin just looks like, I wish I hadn't even asked. Like when you ask a question hoping for a simple, quick answer and end up getting a long-winded history of the background of something with some diatribes and occasional anecdotes thrown in, like, I just asked where the bathroom was. I didn't want your life story. <laughs> Overall, Kevin realizes he's basically a mutt. With grandparents and great-grandparents from all over the place. Alright, in school the next day, we hear Ke uh, Paul mentioning to Kevin that the invitations for his bar mitzvah are going out. He pulls out a invite and dress to Kevin from his locker and hands it to him. Like, fresh, ah, uh, fresh copy, fresh, uh, fresh off the presses. Paul tells him he invited so many babes to this party, including Sandy McCloskey, Jody Hart, and Christine Capone. And he mentions how he'll make sure the band will play plenty of slow songs. Kevin reads the letter out loud. Please share our joy as our son, Paul Joshua, is called to the Torah on Sunday, March. Then he looks at Paul confused. It's on the 18th? Kevin asks her. Paul tells Kevin he thought he knew that. And Paul's like, yeah, but that's my birthday. Paul tells Kevin it's supposed to be on the first Saturday after he turns 13. He reminds Kevin he told him that. I can understand Kevin being hurt, but his laying into Paul here is absolutely unnecessary, even though we already pretty much know what a hothead Kevin is. It's not like Kevin couldn't do both, celebrate his birthday, and go to Paul's bar mitzvah. It's not like Kevin's birthday is going to be a whole day celebration. Paul starts to apologize, saying he didn't plan this. That's just how it works with tradition, and how he'd change it if he could. See, now Paul is feeling really guilty, which he shouldn't. Kevin is making him feel really bad for himself. Paul asks if Kevin is mad, and Kevin says, No, it's just I'm not going to be able to make it. My parents have this whole big party planned for me. Which is a lie, clearly. Paul sadly asks, Not even for the ceremony? Kevin angrily, angrily shouts at him, Well, Paul, I can't help it if you're having your stupid bar mitzvah on my birthday. I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but this, this you're not the center of the whole stupid world. I'd be like, you know, fuck you, Kevin. He is being a major asshole to Paul, and Paul does not deserve that. Here he's, he's stoked, he's giving his best friend an invite, and then Kevin basically shits all over him. What a fucking jerk. In the next scene, we see Kevin helping Jack with the car. He's probably installing a new alternator himself. Norma comes out and tells Kevin, Paul's on the phone, and it's the third time he's called, probably that day. Kevin tells her he doesn't want to talk to him, he's helping Jack with the car. Norma just kind of looks at Kevin like, you know, this is getting ridiculous, but whatever. She doesn't say anything and goes back inside. If I were Paul, I would have, like, tried to call once, maybe twice, but then I would have just showed up at his house and, like, Kevin, you can't ignore face-to-face -face contact. Jack looks at Kevin like he's surprised he's not talking to Paul because that's kind of out of character for him. And Kevin just looks at him hoping that Jack will ask him, you know, what's bothering you. Kevin, this is not the time to be asking questions, not when Jack's focused on getting the car fixed. That'd be like trying to make small talk when a surgeon is doing open-heart surgery. Kevin decides Jack isn't going to come right out and ask him what's wrong, so he'll just have to bring it up himself. He tells Jack how he and Paul haven't been talking lately and how Kevin has not 
does not plan to go to Paul's bar mitzvah. Jack's just nodding like, yeah? You don't say. The whole time not look, even looking at Kevin. It's on the same day as my birthday. My 13th birthday. Can you believe it? Mm. He continues to complain how the whole point of a bar mitzvah is so stupid. And now everyone is saying Paul's a man. But he's just a little kid, don't you think? He asked Jack. It's a rite of passage, Kevin. You're not Jewish, so of course you wouldn't understand. Kevin tries several times to get Jack's attention. He finally looks up and agrees, Yeah, yeah, that's, that's pretty stupid. Odds are he didn't hear any of what Kevin said, or he wouldn't have said that. Kevin asks his dad where he learned to work on cars, and Jack tells him just it's just something he kind of learned along the way. So Kevin asks if, you know, their Grandpa Arnold was also worked on cars, and Jack mentions how, yeah, you know, I, I pretty much picked up most of it from him. Kevin looks down and tells Jack the fan belt looks a little loose, and Jack agrees with him and asks Kevin if he wants to help him put on a new fan belt. Aw, sweet father-son bonding moment. As Kevin works on the car with Jack, we hear Kevin thinking how all along he just needed recognition, something to tell him he was growing up. Jack yells to Wayne to come out and start the car, and Kevin suggests, well, I can do it. But Jack tells him, no, you're not tall enough. Well, that burst Kevin's bubble. Yes, I am, Kevin tells Jack as Wayne comes out and shoves Kevin out of the way, telling him, step aside, little sprout. Jack informs Wayne not to give it too much gas so he doesn't flood the engine. Kevin's all depressed, hanging by the car, then Jack yells at Kevin to step away or that damn engine is going to take his hand off. Really? They can do that? I didn't know. The car stalls, and Jack throws his rag, do rag down in frustration. Kevin, in a huff, walks back to the house. Then we see Norma with a birthday cake singing happy birthday to Kevin as Karen and Wayne chime in, and Wayne's like, And you smell like one, two, seriously? Oh, come on. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do that on your birthday. Kevin blows out his candles while thinking of how crappy his birthday party is and how Paul gets a live band and a ceremony. Karen tells Kevin to open his first, and it's a poem. She wrapped a piece of paper. She reads it aloud. It's called The Pain of Youth. Oh, God. What the hell, Karen? This sounds so depressing. Depressing. And, like, Kevin's not already depressed enough. The Pain of Youth. All its slings and arrows stands breathless, facing time, edging its way to the rim of the nest. He is pushed, left to fall, fall, fall to the earth, and break, writhing in pain. Then a horn honks before she can continue, and she heads out the door. What the fuck, Karen? You just described Kevin like a bird that fell out of his nest only to fall and break his body? I wonder how the rest of it goes. Does he die? Does Kevin finish the poem? I wonder if he does. Even Wayne and Norma's expressions were ones of confusion. Like, what am I listening to? Poor Kevin. His birthday party sucks. <laughs> then he opens the rest of his gifts. A turtleneck, I guess to hide all those hickeys he'll get down the road. A bathrobe. Great for when you're sick. He puts it on over his turtleneck. Did Norma have him try them on? He's like, oh, here, try this on. I want to know that it fits you. Whenever I would get clothes, my dad or 
Pam was like, oh, no, go, go try it on. I want to make sure it fits you. Like, oh, my God, really? So I get to parade around in these clothes. Um, he also gets a wallet and finally a thesaurus. For all those term papers he's going to write in junior high or high school or college, whichever comes first. Kevin wonders to himself if there's, if there's a synonym for extremely disappointed. So now he's in his room. He's still wearing his bathrobe and turtleneck. So you probably could take those off. As he fills out the information, an emergency contact information card in his new wallet. Does anyone even fill those out? The song bookends played by uh, Simon and Garfunkel in the background. I love this song by Simon and Garfunkel. The tone, the words at the end, it's amazing. It seriously gives me chills and it makes me just long for childhood lost. One of my memorable birthdays from when I was a kid was when I was eight. My first birthday that I celebrated while living at my Aunt Debbie's house. I had gotten the movie The Little Mermaid from my dad. The VHS one, yes, with a penis drawn on the cover of the castle if you look close enough. I got that from my dad. Then I went to see my mom. My aunt had brought her kids and took me to see my mom for my birthday. My mom ends up getting me that same movie. So my younger cousin John goes and says, oh, she already has that. She already got that earlier today. My aunt, of course, tells him to shut up, but basically the damage has been done, and then my mom gets all upset and starts to cry. I'm like, oh, Jesus. So I kept her copy, and then my dad's like, well, I'll just take mine back and you can get something else. Well, I wanted to get Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But my cousins are all like, no, bye, honey, I shrunk the kids because they hadn't seen it yet. It was so, or no, they had seen it in the theater, and it was really good. So I did end up getting that one. My last birthday I celebrated at home with my mom. I remember having a birthday party in our basement. She made up a game where you stick your face into a bowl that had glue and cotton balls in it, and whoever had the most cotton balls on their face won, but my cousin Laura had refused to play. Which is understandable. Whenever I tell that to someone, they just look at me in horror, like, what kind of parties did your mom throw? So I did get um a car... I had gotten a car actually in June around my 17th birthday because I had gotten a job at Burger King. My first job ever at Burger King. I got my dad's old Cutlass, old Oldsmobile Cutlass. And then uh, for my 18th birthday, I got my car taken away because I had been skipping school too much. So, which it sucked. I remember crying at the table. My dad's like, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take your car away. I'm like, it's my birthday. But I did get a pair of Airwalk shoes. <laughs> I did spend the majority of my senior year riding the bus to school. The only birthday I ever went to school on was my 17th birthday of my junior year because school started on August 24th. My first birthday is celebrated with Jeremy. I turned 22 and got the first season of Punky Brewster on DVD. And we went to the casino. The only birthday I worked on was my 25th birthday, which kind of sucked. I mean, because, you know, I had just started the job, like, earlier in August. I, I didn't want to take a day off, you know, because I just started the job. Now it's Paul's big day as he stands at the podium and he sings, I think it's either sings or recites in Hebrew, as his family in the audience looks on with admiration. His mom, Ida, and Grandpa Pfeiffer are shedding tears. You see Grandpa Pfeiffer and his face, he he's tearing up because it probably reminds him of his big day. 
And little sister Debbie beams with pride up at her big brother. We see Kevin come in through the doors wearing a beautiful suit. Paul looks at Kevin and a little smile creeps onto his face and Kevin smiles back. Way to support your buddy, your best friend, Kevin. Way to go. Now we're at the party where the plant, the bleh. Oh my goodness, I cannot talk. All right, I had to take a sip of pop here. Let me try this again. Now we're at the party where the band is playing Yummy Yummy Yummy. <laughs> I only know this song from the Simpsons episode where Bart doesn't get to see the new Itchy and Scratchy movie. And then he's like, well, tells Homer, well, how would you like it if you didn't get to watch the moon landing? And we see a flashback to Homer, teenage Homer, on a beanbag with uh, big headphones on his head as he's singing along to the song, Yummy, 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 I've Got Love in My Tummy, and I got, or however the hell the song goes, <laughs> while the moon landing is happening on TV, which he's not even paying attention to. Paul excuses himself from his uh, parents and comes over to Kevin, who does apologize for being late. And Paul says, yeah, I felt like a jerk up there. And Kevin tells him, no, you were great. Kevin jokes how Paul had this giant thing hanging out of his nose. And Paul playfully shoves Kevin, calling him a butthead. Like, you butthead. That's funny because we usually hear that from Wayne, but it's cute coming from Paul. I love their banter together as best buds. It's like, okay, you know, all this BS stuff earlier, it's gone. We are buddies again. We are going to have a great fucking time at this party. Paul's family tells him it's time to dance as Paul grabs Kevin's hand, pulling him into the Havanagita dance. The boys smile and laugh as they dance in a circle with the Pfeiffer clan. We see snapshots of the party of Kevin and Paul laughing and having a great time. The song bookends continues and we fade out on the episode of, as an old black and white photo of the boys together. We start dancing. When they started dancing and the song began to play, I just started kind of getting into it with the clapping. I'm like, okay, I'm clapping along. I love this. I even could feel myself tearing up with happiness for these fictional characters and the celebration of youth and life. All right, that is the end of the episode. Now it's time for my Flower Power episode rating. I am giving it five out of five Flower Power petals. It is getting all five of them. If you hear that jingling noise around, that's Quinn's collar. She's, I think she's in the kitchen, which is right next to where this table is. All right. One, for the cute scenes of Paul and Kevin celebrating their birthdays together when they were little. They were so cute. Paul with his little glasses. Oh. Number two, for Paul Pfeiffer's speech at dinner, which I will be playing I in this episode, which I played earlier. Three, for Norma explaining to Kevin their family history, which went on for a long time, and yeah. Four, for Paul talking up his bar mitzvah celebration on the bus to Wayne and Steve and Kevin. And I love how Kevin sticks up for Paul. It's like, you know, like don't diss my friend here, okay? He's... It's, he's proud of him. He's going to be doing the ceremony and everything like that. And I just, I love that. I love that Kevin is sticking up for his buddy. All right, the last one. For the end, with Kevin and Paul making up 
at his party and the song bookends replaying as the scene fades out on a black and white photograph of the boys together. I loved the dancing and the laughing. Oh, melts my heart. These two boys, these best buds, these best friends. All right, let's move on to my wonderling words of wisdom. What I got from this episode. Not every birthday we have is going to be spectacular. It'd be nice if it was. You know, I mean, there are some birthdays we could probably take or leave. We'd like to forget the ones that we will clearly remember forever in our minds. The farthest back I can remember is my sixth or seventh birthday. I, or my fifth. I, I think it had to be sixth because that's probably as far as I can remember. I remember waking up when I was young, the sunlight pouring into my little room, and running into my mom and dad's room, screaming, It's my birthday! It's my birthday today! And I woke them up. I remember the strawberry shortcake car birthday card on my dresser. I remember a sad birthday when my poor little kitten... I had just gotten this kitten earlier in August, too. My poor little kitty was killed on my 14th birthday. And I'm sorry to be a downer there, but that was a sad birthday for me. Now, since my birthdays have been during the week lately, I've been spending the day pretty much the last few years getting a massage, going to a movie or a bookstore, then seeing my family, you know, heading to Lowell, going to see the family, um, then going out to dinner with Jeremy when he gets off of work. This year, I might probably, instead of Asian Buffet, because that's usually how it's been, but we had Asian Buffet recently, like for lunch, so I'm like, I might just... I'd like to get Hab's Pizza. I love their Reuben Pizza, which I think is like the Irishman, I think. So I might do that. All right, here's my quote of the episode. Oh, hold on a second. I got something popping up on the screen here. Get off of there. All right, my quote. Narrator. And so it turned out to be a great birthday after all. I slow danced with Paul's Aunt Selma. I ate more than Mrs. Pfeiffer could have dreamed possible. And in a funny way... When I look back on it, I sort of feel like it was my bar mitzvah, too. All right, guys, let's give a shout-out to some new Wonderling listeners of the week. Albuquerque, New Mexico, Muskegon, Michigan, Manchester, United Kingdom, Medford, New York, Detroit, Michigan, Bakersfield, California, Dublin, Ireland, Louisville, Kentucky. Some people call it Louisville or Louisville. I guess maybe the uh, regulars that live there probably call it Louisville. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Germantown, Maryland. Brixton, United Kingdom. Irving, Texas. Yokohama, Japan. Las Cruz, New Mexico. I'm sorry if I butchered that. El Paso, Texas. Wareham, Wareham, Maine. Or Massachusetts, I'm sorry. Mass all these M's, all these M's. Mountain View, California, and Nigeria. And to all you listeners out there, thanks again for listening. I want to give you all a sincere thank you. Whether you listen to this podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud or any other listening platforms that you may use to hear this podcast, I love giving you guys all the recaps of the Wonder Years every week. Joining me as I go into full detail as we reminisce of days gone by with Kevin Arnold and his friends, Paul and Winnie, and the rest of the Arnold family, as well as giving my occasional running commentary and childhood stories. Now, to stay connected with this podcast, you can visit my many social media sites, the Facebook page at Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast, 
Instagram at LBOM Wonder Years Podcast, and Twitter at Wonder Years Pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please go to iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I would love to get more. I got one review. You know, I, I don't want to beg for them, but I would love, I want to know how you guys feel. I, I hope you love the show. I love doing the show. So, also, check my social media sites. Like I said, you can access them if you go to the SoundCloud account on my, looking back on my Wonder Years page. The links will take you right to them. Also, um, throughout the week, I do a trivia and a listener question. So, if you guys would like a shout out on the podcast, all you got to do is answer them. Okay, well, join me next Friday, August 11th, when I review Season 2, Episode 14, Brightwing, which aired on April 18th, 1989. And this episode, we get some big sister, little brother quality time between Karen and Kevin. I am excited for this because we really have not got to see them act, interact too much together. This is kind of, this is their focus. It's focusing on the brother-sister aspect right here. We've seen Kevin and Wayne with the brotherliness and Hiroshima, Monfrere. Now we get to see Kevin and Karen kind of hanging out. So, this episode for Brightwing, to get closer to his sister, Kevin agrees to run errands for her before school. He soon discovers that she is skipping school to hang out with her friends at The Rock. That's not good, Karen, especially if you're a senior in high school. Maybe she is, maybe she's not, I don't know. But you should not be doing... I'm one to talk. I mean, I'd probably skip during my senior year, too. But anyway. All right. All right, Wonderlings. You guys have a great weekend. And we'll meet again, same place, same time, next Friday. All right. Enjoy the weather. (laughs) Bye-bye.